0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 1. If I didn't get to meet you on your way in, my name is Ken DeLage. serve as the lead pastor here. And you are joining us in week 2 of a series study in the book of Revelation entitled Long Live the King. Well, you've probably used one of these, and it's probably been many times in your life that you've used it. I don't think we have any of them in Spotsylvania County or Fredericksburg, but you can definitely see them, use them up in D.C., up in New York City. If you go to Mount Rushmore, they are there. If you go to the Golden Gate Bridge, they are there. I had to look up the name of these things. They're called viewing scopes. Got a picture here. It's a kind of modern-looking viewing scope, I think, but you've probably used these things before. You, You walk up and... Back in the day, put your quarter in. I doubt that's how it works in New York City anymore, but swipe your thirty-dollar credit card charge or whatever it is, and you can you can put your face up against this, and it enables you to see what you couldn't see before. So at Mount Rushmore, all of a sudden you can like see George Washington's nose, you know, or standing on the side of the Golden Gate Bridge, you can you can zoom in and actually see the cars as they are going across the bridge. It. It provides additional ability to see something that you couldn't see before. Well, this morning, we're going to look through a viewing scope. Together, we're going to press our face against it and look through the lenses. And our viewing scope is the Apostle John. Now, an ordinary viewing scope just helps you see what's physical and more closely. John, as a viewing scope, helps us look past what is physical and see spiritual reality. And so this is a unique and important viewing scope, because most of us, none of us, can see spiritual reality. And so we get to see, as it were, through his eyes. So, What do you see, John? What is it that you are seeing? And most importantly, what are you seeing? Because what you're seeing, God wants us to see. God did not show this to John just for John. He was blessed to see it. God showed it to John so we could see it. So let's press our face against that viewing scope this morning. And may God speak through His Word. We're going to pick up reading in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. God's Word. John begins writing to us and calls us calls himself our brother. He says in verse 9, I John your brother and partner. And we should pay attention to how to what John is seeing because his description now is a kind of description of Christianity from John's perspective. We are partners. How are we partners? Partners in what? What is it John that that you see yourself as partnering with other believers in? He lists three things. We are partners in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So looking through John's eyes, he sees our partnership threefold. And the first is of tribulation. To be, a, to be called to be a Christian, to be called to follow Christ, is the most blessed calling that exists. And it is a calling that towards tribulation as well it is a take up your cross and follow me it is a in this world you will have tribulation it's a it's a call to be faithful to the lord even when the world hates the lord if they hated me they will hate you to to be called to christ is to be called to tribulation distinctly so we are partners with john john is partners with us in the tribulation and the kingdom You could think of the kingdom as the cause of the tribulation. We are no longer of this world if we are in Christ. Our hope is not for today. Our hope is for that day. And that changes the values that we live for. Christians have different values than what the world values. We're living for a different kingdom than the world is living for. And so the world's response to us is persecution and and we experience that as tribulation but the kingdom is our hope this is our hope we wait for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is god we look forward to that day so if you take those two pieces together the the tribulation and the kingdom it leads to the third the patient endurance that is in Christ Jesus if 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 the church as John sees it, and this is true, is in tribulation today, but is a great hope for tomorrow, then then how do we walk? We walk in patient endurance. Enduring tribulation, but enduring it patiently because we have a great hope. Because we know this won't last. This, this, This will one day be seen as slight and momentary as compared to the eternal weight of glory That God has prepared for those who love Him. So, the church is called to wait and to work and to watch and to worship patiently enduring during this day. You can almost see the lives of every Christian in these three words. Tribulation, kingdom, endurance. You can almost see the the corporate lives of every church lived out in those three words. You could see the history of the church age written in those three words. Tribulation, kingdom, endurance. John knew what it was to patiently endure. He was on the island of Patmos. So we're going to have a map up here in a second that shows us where John was. The island of Patmos is a tiny island off the coast of Turkey. So um, let's see, where can I be seen by most people? I want you guys to be able to see where I'm at as well. So the main uh, bit of land here to the left uh, on the screen that's entitled Asia, that word Asia is the uh, New Testament word of the day. It was called Asia. We would call it Turkey, okay? So this is Turkey over here on the Sorry, that's the right side. There we go. On the left side is Greece. And we're going to talk about all these, these uh, uh, churches here in a minute. But this little red star in the middle of the water is next to a tiny island, and that tiny island is Patmos. All right, so I didn't put the star over the island because I wanted you to see the island. All right, so it's that tiny little one just to the northeast of the red star. That's where John is. He is on the island of Patmos. Why is John on the island of Patmos? Because it was a penal colony. It's where they sent their prisoners. They could drop them off there. They didn't need to build any walls. They didn't need to hire any guards. You just couldn't get away. It's a lot like how it was later with Australia and this founding of Australia, if you're familiar. The British Empire just sent their prisoners. You, you robbed somebody, you just got sent to Australia. And you could live there. You could be free. You just weren't free. just couldn't leave. Except John was not there because he had stolen something. He was there because he had preached something. He was preaching Jesus Christ. And it says that he was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John had been faithfully witnessing to Christ and it had brought to him persecution. And so... He was patiently enduring and waiting for the kingdom. So there he was on the island of Patmos, and one Sunday, it says, he was in the Spirit, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, this is a kind of experience of the Spirit that you have not had, that I have not had, and that we will never have directly. This is a kind of experience of the Spirit that God would give a kind of... Scripture-inspiring experience of the Spirit. You could see it happening in the Old Testament. We just finished the book of Daniel. When Daniel received his visions from the Lord, that was being in the Spirit in the same way. When Isaiah was taken into the throne room of God, he was taken there by the Spirit, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. When Paul talks about being taken to the third heaven, he was taken there by the Spirit And here John is caught up by the Spirit so that he could see spiritual reality. So, John is now in the Spirit. Let us look out his eyes. This this viewing scope that we could see what the Spirit shows to John. And he must have been startled. (laughs) I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Okay. (laughs) Have you ever had a loud voice behind you? Kind of come up when you're not expecting it? How about a loud voice like a trumpet? You know? It kind of makes me think, kind of makes me think that God said to the angels, Hey, watch this. John! (laughs) You know? Ah! <laughs> a loud voice behind him like a trumpet, except that's not what God was doing. The voice booms because the voice is proportionate to the power of the speaker. And he speaks with unveiled power. And he gives a command. The speaking one gives the first command in the book of Revelation, and it says to write. Verse 11. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. All right. So back to our map. We've got John in the Aegean Sea on the island of Patmos off the coast. And then we've got the very churches that we just read on the map. They're all right there. They're all in western Turkey. And in fact, the order of them that we just read is the order that John would walk between the churches. So if he were to land from the island of Patmos, he would land right near Ephesus. And walking north, he'd get to Smyrna and then Pergamum. And then turning to the south, he'd get to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There was, in fact, a kind of circular road that ran between these. And so the order that he presents them is a just a geographic order. It would likely be the order in which the, the book that he wrote went to those churches and was was seen by the, the members of those very churches. So, who was Revelation written to? It's written to the seven churches very clearly. And yet, as God tells John to write. The number seven is not an accident in apocalyptic literature. This, this number again and again symbolizes fullness. And so this is sent to the fullness of the church as well. Yeah, it's both. They are, they are the first recipients. They are not the only recipients. So God's intent, as he tells him to write these in a book and send them to the seven churches, is to send them to all the churches, starting with the seven which is why we're reading it today and why we're pressing our eyes up against to say, okay, what did the Lord want to reveal to his churches? Finally, then, in verse 12, John turns around and his eyes behold a spiritual reality. Suddenly, Patmos is gone. The physical world has faded and his eyes behold true spiritual reality he says, on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. So he sees these lampstands. So that is something that holds up one or more candles. So he sees these candles burning on beautiful golden lampstands, and then standing among them, in the midst of them, between them, near to them, John sees one like a son of man, a a human in appearance. And he's wearing a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. This would be priestly garments that that John, beautiful and semi-royal priestly garments that John sees. And the hairs of his head were white. White like wool. White like snow. And his feet were burning in appearance. Burnished like bronze hot hot out of the, the fire. His eyes were like flames of fire as he stood and looked. His voice fills time and space like the roar of many waters. Verse 16, in his right hand he holds seven stars and from his mouth comes a sword sharp and two-edged and his face, if his feet were bright to look at like burnished bronze, his face was like the sun shining in Full strength. You ever walked outside from a dark room? Opened the door. This just happened to me just like two days ago, walking out the back door here. I I walked out. The the door is white. And it immediately caught all the sunlight and reflected. And the sun was coming straight at me as I opened the door from the dark hallway. And it was just... uh, uh, So overpowering bright. The speaking one. His face is like the noonday sun. Impossible to even focus on. John squinting and closing his eyes and more than that, falling to his face. Verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is both... uh, This is okay. How do you say? This is... Fear, there you go, this is fear in the presence of one this awesome. But I think it's a kind of a holy fear. It's the kind of fear that says, first of all, I'm not thinking very much. I'm just falling down. But if I was thinking, who would dare stand as though an equal with this one? I'm going to get down quick. To stand like an equal is blasphemy. Next to this one. So down he falls. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Fear not. John had heard those words before. A lifetime ago. I doubt he was thinking about it at the time but a lifetime ago as he rode through the night across a stormy Sea of Galilee. The disciples and him having left Jesus on the shore were out rowing across the sea and the wind and the waves were rising up and coming across the water. Walking on the water was one that they thought was a ghost and they were terrified. And that one spoke. It is I fear not. And he was comforted by the words of his Savior. And then again, he had heard it a second time. And if he did remember a moment, it was this one that he was remembering. Because this was the time that John had walked up a mountain with the Lord, and the Lord had been transfigured before him. And there's all kinds of reasons he would remember this, right now because what Matthew tells us is that the face of the Lord shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light and then a bright cloud overshadowed them and spoke and said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him and they all fell on their face couldn't stand up in the glory of God and then he felt a hand on his shoulder and the voice that said, fear not. And he looked up and there was Jesus, veiled again, his glory hidden again behind that veil of humanity. And John and Peter and James stood back up and walked back down the mountain with the Lord. And so again, in this moment, the one speaking laid his right hand on John again and said, fear not. This is when John figured out who was speaking. This is when he knew. Now, we know, probably we all know, one, we read the whole passage already, and so it kind of gives it away. Two, you probably read the book of Revelation before, so you know, who we're speaking of here. Three, kind of gives it away when they put the words in red. If your words are in red in your Bible, we kind of know who's speaking. But up to this point, nobody had said who was speaking. And up to this point, though, though the vision was astounding, it's not so dissimilar from some we saw, even in the book of Daniel, as to rule out a powerful angel having been speaking. So it is not clear up to this point until the one speaking says, I am the first and the last. And here is one, like a son of man, who claims to himself an unequivocally divine title. God had spoken in Isaiah 48, verse 12. He says, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. And then again, here in this verse chapter back up in verse 8 right before we started where god the father says i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and was and is to come the almighty alpha and omega are the a and z of the greek alphabet the first letter and the last letter i am the first and the last says the lord god the almighty and here here the speaker declares that he is god and then he says, I am the living one in verse 18. That is to say, not, this is not in reference to Jesus' resurrection. That's coming. This is in references to Jesus' divinity, his essence as life. There's only one being that exists in themselves, and that is God. All other beings are dependent upon him. All other life is dependent upon the life that God alone gives. He is creator, and he is uncreated. He is life. He is the living one. And then, amazing words for the living one to say next, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So now we get to the death and resurrection of Christ, and if we had doubted who we were referring to, and if we were wondering, is this an angel or not, or who exactly is this? This is our Lord and Savior who died for our sins upon the tree and was brought back to life again. Who else could say that He has life in Himself fully God and I died fully man, but now even that man part has been made immortal. I live forevermore. So that's the one speaking. And then finally, in verse 18 again, I have the keys of death and Hades. That is to say, I rule both those dominions. I have the keys. I could go in the cupboard whenever I want, take whatever I want, use whatever I want, lock the cupboard back up. It's mine. I own it. I own death. And I own Hades. They now belong to me. All right. Quite an introduction. So, let's go back and put this verse together. Jesus says, fear not, to John. Why fear not, John? Why fear not? Because I'm the first and the last. I'm the sovereign God of history. You don't need to fear because everything happening is in my hands. I'm the living one. I am your source for everything. You will have everything you need from me. I have died and now I live forevermore. Fear not because I've taken away your sin and I left it in the grave. And fear not, though you die, you will live again as well because you follow me who now lives again. And John, fear not. If there's anything you should fear, John, death and Hades, well, they're mine now. They're in my hand. They serve at my command and my will. And nothing can hurt you apart from me. So fear not. All right. so what an introduction to Jesus we have. And then he gives his second command in verse 19. The second command in the book of Revelation. And surprisingly, it is a repeat of the first command. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are about to take place. So, so. Write the things that you're seeing, John. There are two types here. There's the things that are, and there's the things that will be. There's the things that are, right? These are spiritual realities that, that John is getting to see. So, so he's getting to see the, the new reality of a risen Christ, of a seated on the throne Christ, of a, a Christ who has become flesh, died, was raised, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That changed everything in the spiritual realm, and John is to report that to us. So we should expect, as we read the book of Revelation, that a lot of the book of Revelation does not talk about the future, but talks about right now, as Christ reigns, right now as the Ascended One. But it talks about two time periods. Those that are, and those that will be. So yes, Revelation also does talk about the future, and the second coming of Christ, when He completes what He began in his first coming. So the way we said it last week, and I think it's the most helpful, is that the book of Revelation is designed for the church during the duration of the church age. It talks about things that are during the church age and what we can expect at the end of the church age, things that will be. All right. We've gotten all the way to verse 20. And if we hadn't read it in advance, and so I think we should read it in advance, but if we hadn't, we would have some questions. There were some mysteries, as we saw through John's eyes, Christ holding the stars in his hand and holding the, and being among the lampstands. And so verse 20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's, here's the mystery, John. Those seven stars which you see in my right hand, those are the angels of the seven churches. I am glad we have that revelation of the mystery, but it's still confusing what that means. What does it mean that he holds the angels of the seven churches in his right hand? I'll just tell you the big three... Um, ways that christians have interpreted this through time uh the most obvious the one that most of us think about is that there are angels associated with each of the seven churches and that's who's in jesus's hand and the greek word is angelos it's angel loss uh and so it's it's very obviously speaking of angels but then we say but the book of revelation is full of symbols are we sure There are other places in our New Testament that the Greek word for angel is just interpreted messenger because it is the word for messenger in Greek also. So did he mean to say the messengers? In which case, folks that believe this one would say he's referring to the pastors of churches, those who are the messengers to churches, who bring the word of Christ to churches. And the final one would say, well, this is kind of a personification of the the spiritual essence of a church. The spiritual essence of a congregation, and so when when we're when we're talking about these stars, he he's talking about holding the the churches themselves in his hand. Ah, uh, I don't know, I don't know which of those three. Um, here's here's what I do know. Jesus means to associate himself very closely with his churches. That's what the picture is driving at. Now, does he have? Does each church have a guardian angel? That would be pretty cool. Do we trust in guardian angels? No, we would trust in the one who has his hand around the guardian angels. Does each church have a pastor? Yes. We trust in the Lord who has his hand. Does each church have its own kind of essence? Yes. We trust in the Lord. So the picture is of the Lord sustaining and defending and being with and being for His people. Alright, so he's got the seven stars in his right hand, and then the seven lampstands. Well, he says clearly, those are the seven churches. That seems very straightforward. But why were they pictured as lampstands? They are lampstands because they are the light of the world upon the earth. Because the world is dark. The kingdom of darkness reigns but there are outposts of the kingdom of light and these outposts of the kingdom of light are are shining light dimly out into the darkness so that those who are out in the darkness lost can see that light and can come to god through the proclamation of his word in local churches it makes me think of like satellite pictures of the earth at night have you seen these right like kind of from a, a bit of a distance, right? And you can, you can look down upon the earth, and if you're kind of a, a map nerd or whatever, you can kind of like see the continents just by the placements of the lights. You can see, oh, there must be ocean over here, it's all dark. But the, but the lights are kind of cities, right? That You can see the, the light all the way up in space. So take that picture and apply that in the spirit and see a darkened world with pinpricks of light. What are the lights upon the world that the Lord is showing us? The lights are the churches called to minister the gospel of Christ in a darkened world, called to to speak clearly of God and of repentance and of faith. It is good that we have an apocalyptic view of the earth from God's perspective. The church is called to be a a light. Now, where are these churches? Well, they're on earth, right? These are the seven churches. We showed the map. That's that's where they are. But, of course, then, it's the universal church as well. And so it's the churches in Spotsylvania County. And it's Mercy Hill. It's referenced as a lampstand to proclaim light the community but the important question is not where are the churches the important question is where is jesus in reference to the churches verse 13 is just end of verse 12 verse 13 on turning i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstand one like a son of man where is jesus you know jesus is jesus he can do whatever he wants he can go wherever he wants. Where is Jesus? He is in the midst of his churches. That's where he is. This Mercy Hill is a holy ground moment. Where is Jesus? He's in the midst of his churches. So earnest is his desire to purify them. So eager is his desire to defend them and to keep them that he is He is with them. Where is Jesus? Here. You know, our weekly gathering may look rather ordinary. Ordinary people. Ordinary lives. On an ordinary Sunday. Singing ordinary songs taking communion out of ordinary little plastic cups, praying, fellowshipping, listening to the scriptures read, scriptures preached, with Jesus. With Jesus here. This is why we need apocalypse. Lest we see with our eyes and judge the church with our eyes and think, oh, this is just ordinary friends where jesus is is not ordinary christ is here holding the stars in his hand dwelling in the midst of the lampstand oh boy This is why we need apocalypse so that we can see what God wanted John to see so that we can see what God wanted us to see and so our application this morning is to see it is to adjust the way that we see and to see things as John sees them so friend let us see local churches with apocalyptic vision let us Let us look upon the lampstands upon the earth. Ordinary local churches. So unimpressive by the world's standards. Go into a local church, you're going to find sinners. When you walk in, you're going to to hear music. You're going to pray some prayers. And yet, from heaven's perspective, they are beacons of light. In a darkened world. Beacons of, of light, outposts of the kingdom. This is where this is what Christ chooses to hold and where he chooses to dwell. So, dear friend, you many who have been laboring for years to help build Mercy Hill Community Church, keep going. Keep going. Don't grow weary in doing well. We would use our, our words and our time and our treasures and our efforts for the building up of the lampstand. Only Jesus lights the lamp. But he's called us to be that lampstand together, and that is a worthwhile thing to be about on this planet. So let's look at the church with apocalyptic vision, and let us look on the Lord with apocalyptic vision as well. Here he is with his face shining like the sun, with feet of glowing bronze, with the sword of authoritative words coming from his mouth, with eyes like fire that can see through everything. Dressed as a priest in his garments, with a voice like a trumpet, who declares himself to be the first and the last, and The living one, the one who died and is alive, the one who holds the keys of death and of Hades. That one, that one before whom John couldn't stand, that Jesus is here. That's amazing. That's amazing. When we gather to worship, that's who we gather to worship. And He is worthy of it. And So we're going to gather to worship again right now. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we press our eyes through this viewing scope and see what John saw, that You would help us not forget what we've seen. Help us not to look upon this gathering with earthly eyes, but to see as You have revealed. And Lord, on our worst Sunday, when we come in discouraged, when we come in feeling distant, when maybe the music isn't resonating with our hearts, When we come in condemned, let us remember, O Lord, that you are here. That you are here as a priest to forgive. That You are one with authority to reign. And that you are worthy of all of our praise. And Spirit, we invite you now. Equip us to give our praise to the one whose name is above every name. In his name we pray.